If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Greetings, everyone. The Talking Book Podcast is here, and it's now, and it's just for you. It's live. Um, this isn't live, but it's, it is happening right now. Uh, today, I'm excited, and you should be too, because I have an excerpt from Ann K. Yoder. Her new book is The Enhancers. Before I get into the reading, I just want to say that I'm so surprised and happy and grateful that The Talking Book has been around for almost seven years. The first audiobook we ever released was F-250 by Bud Smith, whose new book, Teenager, was recently featured on the show. Bud, thank you. Love you. The first episode of the podcast featured uh, was a conversation with Scott McClanahan in a reading from our recording of his novel, The Sarah Book. It's just uh, wild to me. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but that's a long time ago. Anyway, I love you all for it. Just wanted to say that. Um, like I said today, we have Ann Yoder on the show. Ann K. Yoder's fiction, essays, and criticism have appeared in Fence, Bomb, Tin House, New York Tyrant, and Make, among other publications. She writes, lives, and occasionally dispenses pharmaceuticals in Chicago. You're about to hear her read from The Enhancers, which just came out from Meekling Press in Chicago. You can get it now. It just came out. Um, listen to this. The Enhancers is a polyvocal novel that concerns three teenage girls coming of age in a town whose industry revolves around Luminacorp, maker of the supplement Valedictorian. And it follows as they encounter the pleasures and alienation of coming of age in a techno-pharmaceutical society. When Hannah and her friends start taking Valedictorian, or V, they begin to witness its untoward effects and question while the town itself is soon thrown into chaos. Anyway, I think you're going to like this reading. I'm going to drop links to Anne's work and the novel in the show notes. Uh, but enough of me. Here now is Anne K. Yoder reading from The Enhancers. One. When the factory smoke blew up, we could go out. The two smokestacks stood so tall on the hill. They could be seen from most perspectives. Smoke made little difference now to my staying in or going out. But I loved to see the stacks standing high in the sun like monuments. They were built the year our town, Lumina Hills, was established. Before then, it had been a nowhere town. Out of the way. Back then, the town had been called Between. It had been a town falling into itself, and its history was divided into before and after the factory. At the time, the town had been fading with an aging astrophysics lab and a series of decrepit schools that prepared students for decrepit jobs they would gradually move through to. So much was different now with the boost that had begun with the factory. Lumina Corp was established in 1981. It was founded at the crest of the hill, with the river flanking each side. First came the factory, and then came the stream of postdocs in R&D. Some of the most forward thinkers in supplemental chemistry moved to this town, which soon became a center for research and development and archival advances. This is where Valedictorian's predecessors were first conceived of and created. 
Lumina became one of many hubs spread out like nodules, each with its own specialty. Ours specialized in analyzing natural substances and developing biosimilar synthetics. These were called natural products. The labs also produced thousands of new chemical structures each year. They were cataloged and stored for future use, reference, and retrieval in a series of chambers dug deep in the hill. The town itself had developed an obsession with information. Some was true, some was not, but believed to be. With information came dealing and acquisition and storage. It was a good thing, residents said. Easy to keep. Information fell through the air invisibly, coating our bodies. It flowed through the air like voices. There were true facts and fictional facts and false facts, too. And no one disputed which fact belonged in which category. Sometimes information the air was so dense, it accumulated in drifts. I'd seen people wander with vacant stares and suddenly come to. This seemed absurd to me before I started V. But now I stumbled into this, too. It felt like entering a storm. My mother, Judy, called these fits of losing my senses and stumbling about increased turbulence. I could sense a heaviness in the air when it was full. Some of us were more sensitive to its presence. Judy said it was possibly like a sixth sense we hadn't realized we possessed until we were burdened by the excess. How much information could one memory hold? The question was often asked. It was rhetorical but was wielded to remind us, not much on its own. The general theories of cognition at the time suggested that a memory would expand to accommodate the volume of information ingested. Facts were dense, and too many would tear through. Remember, as in, take three with a morning meal, remedies that. Two. The smoke blew downwind soon enough again. It descended and covered the town in a blanket of chemical sweetness. The days passed candy-coated. All surfaces were lickably sweet. We were told to stay inside, not to lick, not to inhale deeply. But what was deeply? How much unfiltered air was safe to breathe? I was never not reminded of precautions and safety, but all the same, I had no problems breathing. I paid no attention to the warnings, but I had nothing to do on the outside anyway. I passed the day in the basement, in the one room clear of my father's crates. The floor was heated concrete with pillows and cushions along the walls. I sat propped on pillows with a table holding three monitors before me, each sending a different stream. In the morning, I toggled between chimp cams and video clips, lessons, and a wide-ranging assortment of feats. When the air cleared a bit, Azzy and Celia came over. Each took a corner. We kept the lights dim, and we ingested V. We each glowed in the light of our screens. We focused on what was before us. Screen glow felt like a heat lamp, like a hug like a caress into pixelation. We consumed capsules filled with powders. We snorted and ejected. We tracked how many hours, how many milligrams, how many half-lives existed in a day of ingesting. And we absorbed instructional clips, dosing blogs, CCTV streams, restreams, old films, and really anything transferred digitally. Celia followed a bird-watching drone cam and attempted to memorize the chemical properties of the top 200 supplements, but she ended up posting pouty selfies and obsessively checking Samson's availability. Azzy streamed surgical camps, sex cams, and looked for hot booze in the acclimation feeds that were shared with third years across factory hubs. 
We wouldn't meet these other students until our schooling was complete, and only then if we headed to university. As he bitched that our classmate Maxine was effusive, posing like she was in a state of post-orgasmic bliss, I should have expected this. Maxine was my mother's protege, and at times assisted Dr. Billy. I resented that Maxine was taking to V so readily. I turned off two of my screens and watched old silent film clips, black and white, outlines of tall city buildings, but mostly I liked to look at the faces and how much was communicated with a glance. Each twitch of the lip or batting of an eye was a meaningful gesture. My favorite was Joan of Arc's ecstasy, her gaze, the lone tear down her cheek at the stake. It destroyed me, the way she was persecuted, the way she could overthrow armies and make priests quake the way she enacted her vision and accepted her fate. Later in the evening, when Harold was in his study, Judy pulled me aside. She said testing day was coming. I was still not acting like myself, and she said this was concerning. I pointed out that I was very much myself regardless of how she thought I should be acting. Point taken, she'd said, but she had already concluded I was suffering from the weight of things, of excess, She sat beside me on the sofa as Esmeralda started pawing my lap. Judy explained that I had a wanting that would never leave, and I carried this emptiness like a pocket within me. This was normal, but if we ignored it, it would curl like a cat inside of me and grow. With augmentation, she said, it could be kept in control, or rather, I could choose how it manifested. I asked if she knew this feeling. She nodded. Yes. I was surprised she was so candid. She said she saw life as a riddle, she answered, with methods to coordinate and simplify. She found meaning in reducing complications and untangling knots. This was so satisfying, she said, and now it had become as natural as breathing. But what if I want something else, I asked. I hated placation. And who is this we? She said, us, of course, we're a team. But what if keeping this empty pouch is important? Like, maybe it's a place for gestating. She grimaced. Hannah, please, I'm serious. I am too. I like having my cats, I said. I certainly liked Esmeralda on my lap, even though she was now biting my hand. Like them or not, you'll need a way to tame them. Three. It was almost as if our talk had quelled my cats, because I soon fell closer than I had in a while to what I would call normal. School days passed in chat flirtations. We exchanged IMs on animal mating, shared images of screen-sized cocks and boxing matches and glitched animation. We downed energy drinks with augmentation, swallowed capsules filled with nutrients all biomanufactured at the factory. We recorded the days and nights of our screen lives, as in the constant glow on our faces, as in our constant palm gaze, as in the steady stream of a multiplicity of feeds, never fewer than three. We were hooked up, jagged up, as in always. We took our pills and powders during the designated times at school. We took in the 15 minutes of morning salutation before first period, at the admin lab after second, and then after third, the bell would ring and we'd head to the canteen where we did our midday dosing. We were greeted with audio recordings reminding us to take this seriously, to not make trades, to not dose defiantly, to not snort powders that were meant to be ejected, etc., etc., Nourishment was available in pills and powders and in an assortment of electrolyte waters. 
we set up our devices to record as we sat side by side at one of the three long tables or at a smaller table along the room's periphery. We measured doses and consumed and recorded our taking for our mothers and coaches. And for most of us, that was Dr. Billy. We took our powders and straws and sniffed lines from the tables before us. We applied transdermal films that gave way to smooth expansion. Injections were swift and most effective, though most of the time, for most of us, it was swallow, swallow, swallow. No matter how much I swallowed, though, I always felt empty, even on better days. The cat inside me was never satisfied. It clawed and grew beastly. Every day blah was my new reality. I was passing time to what? To become another Judy? If I skipped a dose of V, I felt a bit more like who I used to be. There was a warmth inside of me, but even so, I couldn't not take. Judy's defense was everyone benefits from chemical lift. But I didn't see how fact and matter mattered more than curiosity or investigating depth. And so I started investigations, gathered fragments of what I thought we'd forget and what was already forgotten. How we are made of the same elements as stardust, storm clouds, tar pits. Feelings never felt, failing to take root. We were offered a factory future if we stayed at the top of the class. And if we wanted to leave Lumina Hills, these connections would come through the factory, too. We were told dreams were to be used for envisioning futures and practical things like managing a lab or engineering advanced dose delivery systems. Creativity? There was a pill for that, too. Soporific enhances frontal cortex activity, the primary source of cognition and creativity. Click here for data about the cost-to-benefit ratio. 4. In these early days of third year, during this midday dosing, Celia introduced us to shopping. She said it went like this, as we three sat at our usual table. She told us to flip open our cases, slide open our organizers, and we were to barter. Barter, as he asked? Yeah, like you want to trade up. Okay, cool, I said, but what about this? I pointed to my device's lens. You know, they only spot check these things. Well, then you don't know Judy. Celia shrugged and said Samson and his table of factory brats and bros have been doing this since day one, and no one's on to them. He says his dad and all the lead scientists explore off-label uses, so, like, why shouldn't we? She placed her device on the table so that it was capturing her face at an angle. She leaned over with her newly black hair falling forward, then took a bright orange ball of sunkiss in her palm. Here's the trick, she said, and she held her palm to her mouth and swept it along her cheek in one swift and brilliant gesture. I tried this, too, with my V, and it really was so easy— Just moved the capsule to my lips and along the side of my cheek in one determined motion. I checked my replay then, as he watched us with hesitation until I placed my V before her. Then she turned and placed a tap of edge eraser in Celia's palm and Celia passed her spare sun kisses to me. More friends joined us in the following day and days and this made for more possibilities of trades. I invited... Twins, Samuel and Linnaeus, who wore matching striped shirts and the same soundless sold shoes. As he brought her most recent crush, Jenny, and Celia invited a Buddhist named Doreen. I traded two magenta and black caps for Samuel's smaller turquoise jewels. Celia traded her orange horse pills for an ounce of Jenny's onyx elixir. 
as he gave her pink pearls for Doreen's jade ovals. This exchange gave me a sense of control over something and a sense of relief. My inner cat didn't feel like it was scratching me. I felt a purr, like I didn't feel a panic when I went on to fourth period. My afternoon wasn't passed with gripped teeth. I did nod off a bit later in power politics and leadership, which, despite my new calm energy, was still so incredibly tedious. Who were these rulers, and why should I care about old-school dictators? These kings and legislators and policymakers, these men of the world who had done whatever the fuck they pleased, they had so little to do with me. Okay, that was Ann K. Yoder reading from The Enhancers, a new book out now from Meekling Press. I'm going to drop links to the book in the show notes. Please go get it and check out Ann's work. Check out Meekling Press. My name is Chris Hartram, and this is The Talking Book. We record books in Asheville, North Carolina. You can listen to them. You can come record them. We'll record them for you. Go to thetalkingbook.org, find out how we produce audiobooks, listen to more episodes of this podcast, to find more cool books like The Enhancers. Thanks so much to Dave Burr for editing the show and Kay Yoder for the reading and writing the dang book. And thanks to all of you for hanging out all these years. This little outfit, you know? Books are cool. Audiobooks are cool. You are cool. See you next time. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I knew that you were there Like an angel Who has forsaken certain Sleeping in the square I was lit Before I knew The storm was passing over And the window